There's something so life-giving when someone gives of themselves to help us through whatever difficult circumstances we may be facing, right? Someone who helps us see that endurance is possible. Perseverance in Christ is possible. And that in trials, God, according to His Word, is present and He is faithful. This is exactly what Paul the Apostle does for us this morning in our passage. And in fact, he tells us that this is what we are to do for others in the church as well. I invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we are going to focus uh, on really 3 and 4, <clears throat> but I'll read a little bit longer passage. As you're turning there, as Mako mentioned earlier, today we finish up our series, Counseling the Word, Gospel Truths for Our journey of faith for the journey of faith as we make it from this land and as we head to the next. And we hope that over the last handful of weeks, last seven weeks, you have more biblical encouragement to cling on to and more biblical encouragement that you can help others cling on to as we live out our lives in relationship with others here in this church. This is why we finish up on this passage and this topic of your ministry, ministering Christ in your weakness. This is our main idea for today. Your ministry, ministering Christ in your weakness. Uh, let's go ahead and stand once again. And we are in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And we'll start from verse 3 and go to verse 11. Paul the Apostle opens up this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Please be seated. The points for our sermon today, which can be found in the app as well, it'll also be up here on the screens. Point number one, God comforts us in our weakness. 
Point number two, God calls us to comfort others in their weakness. And then point number three, God calls us to comfort others from our weakness. Again, this, we're going to be revisiting these, but if you're taking notes, let's go ahead and dive into point number one. God comforts us in our weakness. God comforts us in our weakness. In trials, I'm sure you know, it can be so hard to remember that God is with us. That's what we looked at last week. But thank God if you notice that Paul from this very letter from the beginning helps us raise our gaze as we talked about last week, redirecting discouraged, potentially discouraged readers and us to God who comforts. Look there at verses three and four again. He starts off with this explosion of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction. Paul himself went through terrible, terrible affliction for the gospel's sake, for Jesus' sake. And that can be found in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to note that later on and go ahead and read that, verses 23 to 28 in particular. But he writes this as one who experienced such terrible affliction, but also know that he writes this as one who came to know incredible comfort in the gospel. Look at verse 8, where he speaks of his own difficult experience and suffering. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers. He says, look, I want you guys all to know of the affliction we experienced in Asia, or modern-day Turkey. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That is intense. Whatever he went through there, it was hard. It was intense. It was a grind. He says there very plainly that this was simply beyond them. It was beyond him. They felt, he felt that there was no way out. And so therefore, they despaired of life itself. It's good to remember that Paul was just like us who at times despair. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5, he describes affliction also. Affliction because of fighting without or fighting on the outside towards him and then fear within. Faces the difficult circumstances outside, fighting, persecution, and then fear is generated from his own heart. And of course, it's not just Paul who suffered, right? That same fear, that same temptation that was in him. It's in everyone. Think of Moses who feared after God called him to be the leader and to lead God's people out of Egypt. What does he do there? He fears. He has great anxiety as he looks at himself and realizes, I can't do this on my own. Think about David when Saul was out to get him and actually tried to murder him on multiple occasions. And then he had to go on the run. Think of Elijah, who in one moment stood boldly against 400 false prophets. But then in the next moment, despairs of life itself as well, as Queen Jezebel was hunting him to the death. And of course, friend, you and me, we too, even though we might not go through these very circumstances that Elijah, David, Moses, Paul went through, I'm sure you guys can identify with this despair and hopelessness, maybe even to some degree, some sort of fighting or mocking from the outside, fighting without and then fear inside. This is part of the reality of what it looks like to live in a sinful and fallen world that suffers the effects of sin. 
But then as we embrace God's plan that he will one day complete the work that he began in us, which was mentioned earlier in the service, and as he will bring us to final salvation, as we battle our sin and temptation, God always provides a way out. We looked at this last week, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out. So you guys might be wondering, okay, so uh, how do we make sense of this? In our passage this morning, Paul obviously and his companions felt as if there was no way out. But yet in the passage I just read, 1 Corinthians 10, he knows there is a way out. So how do we reconcile this? It's, it's super fascinating. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, if you look at verse 9 in our passage, we see his way out. We see Paul's way out that was provided by God himself. We see how he was able to endure and find comfort. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But here's the way out that God is working in Paul's life so that he's able to endure. He says, but that was, was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He will deliver us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. He feels the threat of death. He wants to give up on life itself, but yet He's comforted, He's able to endure, He's able to choose faithfulness as He trusts in God who raises the dead. Do you notice there that God is His hope? In Isaiah chapter 40, as Marco explained in his prayer, The Israelites had sinned against God. What is their hope? God is their hope. That's why Isaiah, or God through the prophet Isaiah says, Behold your God. He comes, and then verse 11 says, He comes and shepherds His people in His faithfulness and in His power and in His sovereignty. God is His hope, not on not man, not on people in general. That's why He says there, verse 9, But that was to make us not rely on ourselves, which of course there is no hope, man, We people are the ones who got ourselves into our own sin problem. So why would we ever trust in ourselves to deliver us from our own sin problem? We can't. We trust in God. This was to make him rely not on himself, but on God who is all-powerful. God who has shown himself faithful. God who has so loved us in Jesus because of our sin. He sent him to die on the cross. He was raised from the dead talk about sovereignty and then he says paul says he will deliver even in death we all know death comes to all of us so when paul is saying here that he will deliver us he's not saying that god will promises to to deliver us from every single circumstance in our life such that we live forever here on this earth that's not what he's saying nowhere in the bible should we think that he's saying that god will deliver us even in death Because on the other side of the grave, there is resurrection. So note here that Paul goes from hopelessness to hopefulness because of God. That's why he erupts in praise in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. These here, friends, are truths that should anchor the soul. He is God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, eternal God and Father, who sent His eternal Son to save us from our sin. 
He is the father of mercies. This specifically speaks of a character quality of God, a character quality inside of God such that he is merciful and the compassionate one. He is the God of all comfort, not the God of ease, of Bentleys and whatnot, but he is the God who comforts and consoles the afflicted. So we are to get the idea that God is ever ready to console you, ever ready to console with every possible consolation. Ever ready to console with every possible consolation. As I was meditating on this, I get the picture that our God of all comforts, all of them, He's the great spiritual physician and he has his massive fleet of ambulances, spiritual ambulances, so to speak, and they are stocked with every single kind of concoction of heavenly comfort. And in our time of trouble, in your time of trouble, if we call upon him, he will deliver us. He never misses a call. He never fails. Through the Spirit, God applies the balm of salvation in Christ which always strengthens, always enlivens. And to Him we are to cast our cares and concerns upon Him. God is ever ready to console with every possible consolation. Preserving, ministering to you, Christian, so that we can find help in our time of need. Praise God that those whom God calls by His grace are met by His grace take Jesus as a prime example of seeing God's preserving and comforting grace. In his afflictions from the desert, right, where he was tormented by the devil, all the way until the cross where he suffered, God never abandoned him. You think about Jesus' life, he had God's word in the the desert. He had God's promises that he hid in his heart that he would not sin against God. He also had a unique sense of confidence and the abiding presence of God's love the love of the Father to the eternal Son. Of course, he knew such love from even before creation. He knew it. So certainly he would know it here. And then, of course, God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand and restored to him the glory he had in the beginning before creation, just as John 1 says. And friends, just as God did not abandon his eternal Son, so God is faithful to those who are in his Son. Imagine you bringing over your best of friends to your house, to your parents. The, the, the perfect parent, right? We're not all perfect, but the perfect parent would so welcome the friend, right? You're friends with my child? Let me give you the food that I give my child. Let me give you the hospitality that I give my child. Let me give you even resources sometimes that I give my child. Imagine God, the eternal father, sees us in his son by grace through faith in Christ according to the cross and that same welcome and love provision he gives his eternal son who was with him before creation so he gives that same love to those who are in his son Christian if you are suffering difficulties yourself you realize that that is your father in heaven your father of mercies, God of all comfort, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And just as God calls us to lay hold of Him, 
never forget that God stands ready to give us more of him. Right? Just as God calls us to lay hold of Jesus, to lay hold of Christ, so God, your Father, the Father of mercy, the God of all comforts, stands ready to give you more of Christ. Praise God for that. There is such great comfort in the fact that we belong to our faithful God, sovereign over all things, whose goodness and love never fails. This is the God of the Bible. And belonging to Him brings such comfort to the Christian. Over and over and over again, he pledges his grace and love to rebels. What king does that? I don't know if you guys were, I pray you were paying attention during Malchus' prayer, but he was praying about Isaiah. He was praying about how God's Old Testament people wandered away from him over and over again, even though they knew such obvious displays and saw and witnessed such obvious displays of God's love. Of course, we too, are rebels as well. Romans chapter 1, which is also what Pastor Maka was praying through. But if you think about that, what king or person draws near to the very rebels who plot his overthrow? And then not only pardons them, but pledges more of himself for their comfort. God does that in Jesus. If you're visiting with us, there's something really important to pay attention to. God does this in Jesus, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we're not supposed to think, wow, God's love is so fantastic because the world is so big. Like there are just so many people. Like I myself could not imagine loving so many people. Number. No, we're supposed to look at the word love, which is the way that John uses the word. Sorry, we look at the word world. And John uses the word world in connection with sin, in connection with darkness, in connection with fallenness. So when we look at this verse, for God so loved the world, we're supposed to say, wow, God's love is so great because the world is so bad. Who does that? Jesus does that. God does that. God does this for our comfort, our salvation, as God is holy and just, of course, but he is also loving and full of grace and full of mercy. And friend, again, if you're exploring this, God invites you to enter into this comfort. He invites you to enter into this rest in Jesus who died on the cross to bear our judgment so that his people wouldn't have to. And in him, we can be reconciled to our maker, our creator, forgiven of our sin, and we can know God as Father. Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me all who are, all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. He says, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is why Jesus and Christians call everyone, call you to turn from your sins and believe and you will know a rest for your soul like you have not known before in the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. Okay, so we have talked about God as the God of all comfort and he comforts us in our affliction, but why does he comfort us? For what purpose? There are various reasons according to scripture, but in our passage today, we see that God intends that we, knowing Christ's comfort for ourselves, would then go on and comfort others. Point number two. Surprise, we're moving fast here, right? For me, at least. Point number two, God calls us to comfort others in their weakness. Verse four, God calls us to comfort others in their weakness. Verse four, 
uh, God who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Did you notice that grammar, just like you would use grammar as you write a letter to your loved ones, holding out hope for some particular reason, for some particular purpose? So Paul does the same. It's a huge so that or purpose statement. God comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. What a mission. God wants us to multiply heavenly comforts to weary Christians going from the fallen world to the heavenly. So Christian, has your heart ever, ever, I recognize that there are struggles and maybe even right now you might not be able to see or find comfort in God yet. That's, that's the nature of the struggle. Of course, in the moment there, we have to turn back to the truth, heavenly comforts, as we let go of the stuff on earth that fails us right? That sometimes takes time. But have you ever, have you ever been lifted up by heavenly comfort in Christ? Friends, did you know that God Himself, your Father of mercies, desires to use you to lift up the hearts of others? Having received comfort in Christ yourself, He wants you to go on and comfort others with that same comfort. And so then by his plan, we together as Evergreen Baptist Church, San Gabriel Valley, would be a people who are resting in Christ, striving to rest in Christ, to rest in the forgiveness, to rest in the healing, to rest in the restoration that he himself brings. Christian, this is your ministry in this church. That's what it was for the Corinthian church. Paul starts off, right, with, look, I went through affliction. I received comfort. Now I'm giving it to you. And then in 2 Corinthians 13, 11, he closes off the book saying, comfort one another. Basically, now go and do likewise in the gospel. So friends, this is, your, this is part of your ministry. The question is, will you take it up? You know what often keeps us from fulfilling this ministry that God gives us? Here are a few things. First, it's thinking that only the paid pastors are the ministers or the comforters, right? But, but this thing you hear in the Bible is actually wrong. We already saw that all Christians are to aim to comfort one another according to 2 Corinthians. But then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, it says there, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to only be the ones who are to minister comfort in the congregation. No, that's not what it says. It says he gave them to equip the saints or God's holy ones, for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. That's you guys. God's holy and set-apart people. Now, while you may not have a ministry of the pulpit, you certainly have a ministry of the pew, so to speak. I recognize we have chairs, but you guys get the point. There are so many opportunities, for example, on Sunday mornings to fulfill your ministry of the pew, Right When you get here, perhaps early, to greet others in maybe your section. And maybe you linger around a little bit afterwards, getting to know folks, taking an interest, a genuine human interest in others around you. All of these are opportunities to encourage, to minister, to comfort. These are opportunities to talk about how perhaps the sermon has affected you and provided you a little bit more hope than you had previously. 
These are opportunities to talk about what it was like for them as well. And then after that, you can invite people over to your homes for lunch for more additional conversations where you aim to love them and do them spiritual good and minister the comfort of Jesus to them in word and deed. So let me encourage you, take up your ministry. Take up your ministry of multiplying heavenly comforts to your fellow church members. And if you're going to go to lunch today, get in the practice, or if you're going to go to Fellowship Sunday and sit at a table, get in the practice of reflecting on the sermon together. As the service ends and then you reconnect with folks, right? We all know that we're going to probably gravitate towards our friends. Take a moment, take a moment to go and find someone you might not know or someone you don't know as well and then just introduce yourself to them. Ask them how they came to hear about this church. Talk about how the sermon, by God's grace, if at all, encouraged you. I know that many of you guys review the sermon in your small groups during the week, but I hope that that's not the only place where you discuss the Word of God and the Spirit's work in your life. We can take our cues from Old Testament Israel, who was to talk about their faithful God when they are in their homes sitting at the table, when they go on walks, when the sun sets, when the sun rises. Basically all the time, paraphrase of Deuteronomy 6 verse 7. So if you're heading out to lunch, if you're going to go to Fellowship Sunday, why not grab a couple folks sitting next to you and invite them to join you? It might give you, a, it might give you slight discomfort, right, to get to know people you might not know, especially if you have some degree of social anxiety, but it's worth the discomfort for the sake of comforting others in Jesus. It was worth it for Jesus to leave His throne of glory and to suffer at the hands of sinful men in order to save sinful men. Second reason why sometimes we struggle to take up this ministry is because people can wrongly think, I can't fulfill this ministry. I'm a sinner. I can't fulfill this ministry. I'm a sinner. Well, that thought actually might be entirely appropriate. What I mean is that if you are living in unrepentant sin, that is sin that you refuse to turn away from, then I would definitely encourage you to lay hold of Christ for yourself in repentance and faith. How exactly can one comfort others with God's comfort if one refuses Christ's comfort for themselves? You, friend, need to be convinced of the necessity of choosing Jesus for yourself. But the awesome thing is, is you can give the opportunity to someone else. You can ask someone from the church, hey man, I'm really struggling with unbelief in this particular area. It's hard for me to believe X, Y, Z. Will you remind me why you believe that? Can you tell me about a story in your own life, a thing that you mentioned a few years ago? Can you tell me why you chose Christ, you chose faithfulness instead of this other thing? Because it's hard for me. You can invite other people to minister comfort to you when we struggle with hard-heartedness. But, friends, if you're saying, you know, I can't fulfill this ministry because I'm a sinner, I mean, if you're repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ, then you actually are perfect for this ministry. God intends the weak to help the weak. God intends the weak to help the weak. And in so doing, the one who shines is actually Christ, our Savior. His sufficiency, His power to sustain. He's the one who comes to be known as wonderful and sufficient. His grace is made to be known as sufficient. His power is made to be known as perfect in our weakness. Here's another one. 
Third, someone might say, I don't feel equipped for this ministry of consolation. Well, let me tell you, I have a wonderful equipping opportunity for you. A perfect class to help you get equipped is our Biblical Counseling Ace class that's coming up in the fall, starting on September 17th, called How People Change. How People Change. The class will help you learn to comfort first yourself with biblical truth in the midst of temptations, and then help you learn how to do the same for others. The class will help us understand what our heart struggle is, as Pastor Baco preached from James chapter 4. Our struggle primarily is not what happens outside circumstances and how we can run away from them, although certainly that can be prayed for, like Paul prayed for the thorn to be removed from his flesh. Uh, But primarily the struggle is with the heart. And so we get opportunity to examine what does the heart look like and why is it that I struggle uh, to believe at times and why is it that I tend to believe at other times? And then we can turn to see how God's Word is applicable in the midst of these struggles. This class is so good. Not because I'm teaching it. Uh, It's a class created by the Christian Counseling Education Foundation. I've probably taught it like six, seven times. And it encourages me every single time I teach it. I've read through the book probably the equal amount of times. But the content is so good. So biblical. So helpful. Let me encourage you guys to grab a friend and just bring them along. And then you can learn to comfort each other according to the word. You can register on the app. So let me encourage you to do that later on. Or now if you can multitask. Point number one, God comforts us in our weakness. Point number two, God calls us to comfort others in their weakness. And now point number three, God calls us to comfort others from our weakness. God calls us to comfort others from our weakness. We comfort others not in great human strength, but actually in our own weaknesses and in our afflictions and in our struggles. And this is Paul's example, is it not? It was unbearable beyond them, beyond endurance that I despaired of life itself, fighting without and fear within. This is vulnerability, vulnerability for the benefit of others and the comfort of others. I wonder if this is your mode of operation, your MO, such vulnerability for other people, or Do you find yourself, for whatever reason, various reasons, tending to hide weaknesses in order to appear strong, right? And I get that that's how the world oftentimes view leadership, and we got to be wise on what we share. You know, I'm not not, uh, rejecting that. I'm just wondering, is that your MO in the church community to be vulnerable in order to help other people? Ministering from weakness is actually good biblical leadership. Again, what is highlighted is not human strength and my own wisdom, but divine strength and wisdom. Ministering out of our weakness and dependence on Christ is something I think we can all agree with, right? Like that's a good thing. It's just hard to do sometimes. So for the rest of the sermon, I want to hold out a few characteristics required of us if we are to minister faithfully from our weakness. Let's look at the first character required is openness and humility. Openness slash humility. Be open about your own afflictions and your own weaknesses and your own struggles. Of course, with wisdom. Openness and vulnerability has incredible power when it comes to ministering to others. Again, we see this in Paul. So why is it that people don't share, right? Many people feel like, well, it might be a little bit too embarrassing. We feel shamed over what we 
have been through or what we are going through. Frankly, sometimes we might rather protect ourselves for our own earthly comfort or standing. Or frankly, we might not think much about how it is that we can comfort other people. But I know some of you guys, I know for a fact that some of you guys have already begun to share your lives with others and for the first time ever. And friends, that is exciting. You realize that from God's point of view, if you're going to go and bring your sins before God, that is encouraging. I mean, if God knows all already and you're sitting there hiding your sins from God and other people, then of course you would think like, why, why, why are you hiding just like Adam did? One of our kids used to, after the, <laughs> uh, I won't name this just, just child, but uh, this child would, and, fr- and frankly, probably all of the children, yours too, and we ourselves do the same, but they would do something shady, you know, that the parents didn't want them to do. You know, they're three years old, two years old, and they would run under the table, right? But the table is like four feet tall, and the parents are all right there. It's like God. God can see everything. And God wonders, why, Jeremy, are you running? Why are you hiding your sin from me? I want you to come to me so that I can help you, so that I can minister to you. Friends, some of you guys, by God's grace, are getting over this right now. And I know this firsthand. And you're sharing of yourself for the first time ever. And as a pastor, that is so exciting. It is incredibly exciting to see someone struggle with sin and battle against it so that one begins to sin less for God's sake, not for show or to appear so much nicer to other people or to appear strong it's super encouraging let me encourage you to keep on sharing and letting yourself be known while reminding yourself if you sort of feel ashamed or whatever reminding yourselves of these truths romans 8 1 which we talked about last week there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus first corinthians 10 13 no temptation is overtaking you except what is common to man and then just go on being open about your weakness trying to minister god's comfort trying to live in God's comfort, and then trusting that God will use it to comfort others. You will help others know a little bit more of what it looks like to live in the freedom of the gospel. And just trust, right? Let's say the worst thing, let's say there's, a new, there's someone who might tend towards judgmentalism, uh, which I'm sure all of us at some point in time uh, understand obviously we were saved out of the world so we're going to wrestle with worldliness just go ahead and trust that god is going to use you to help them understand a little bit more of the freedom that comes with trusting in christ and god willing they will appreciate your efforts and then follow your example of sharing with other people but what if they don't what if they still don't receive it well this brings us to a second characteristic required. Second characteristic required, confidence. Confidence, knowing that Christ is your strength in weakness. Confidence, knowing that Christ is your strength in weakness. I say confidence because I'm sure some of you guys are still thinking like, oh no, it can be so scary to be open. It's threatening. Here's how confidence in Christ helps us minister from our weakness, right? Right? going back to God who knows all things, just to press a little bit deeper. If we know without a shadow of a doubt that I'm exposed before Jesus and he knows every sin that I've committed in the past, in the present, and will ever commit in the future, and yet Christ goes to the cross for you, for us, and then he declares us righteous before his eyes, 
then I say, what can man do to me? What can man do to me? I already have my standing in Christ in the gospel. What can they find out about me and my sin that Jesus, the King of all, has not already found out about me, does not already know about me, and already paid for? Then you say, people may reject me. Go ahead and reject me. But Christ has already accepted me. And so we therefore can go on ministering compelled by the love of Christ. God has already accepted me and I'm so free in that acceptance that I want to talk to you about how I wrestle with sin but trust in Christ over and over and over again. We trust not on ourselves but God. We look at ourselves, of course we don't have any confidence. But if we look at Christ and help others do the same, our confidence will never and can never finally be stripped from us but instead with jesus who delivers us even from the dead we can have all hope and this is exactly where paul finds his confidence not only to minister to others but for final deliverance final salvation of all god's people look there in verse 7 he says there our hope for you is unshaken for we know that as you share in our sufferings, that is for the gospel, for Jesus' sake, being born again, made a child of God, trusting in Christ's blood for salvation, you will also share in our comfort on account of all of those same things, Christ and in his shed blood. Why does he have confidence? Because God is who he says he is, and he does all that he promises. This is your ministry, Christian. We are never to be dead ends of Christ's comfort, but with the comfort we have received in Christ, so we now are to go on and comfort one another. Just as God comforts us in our weakness, so God calls us to comfort others in their weakness. And this requires us to comfort others from our own weakness. Evergreen, pray, continue to pray that we would be a church of Christians ready to multiply heavenly comforts to the weary that we would give ourselves to turning people's hopeless sojourning into hope-filled longing and eager anticipation for God to one day complete the good work that he began. And if we are ministering from our weakness, ministering Christ from our weakness, the one that gets the glory, the one that shines is God who is always faithful. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we give you great praise, recognizing that you are our God of all comfort. And just as we read in Isaiah, you comfort us with the good news. You comfort us with such powerful truths about who you are and what you have done. And then as we live in those realities, that you so love sinners that you give Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we might know you as Father and Lord and might be adopted into your family to have absolute forgiveness in Christ, to know reconciliation with our Creator. Lord, we praise you as the God of love and the God who is ever faithful. Lord, as we struggle here in this fallen and sinful world, you know that oftentimes it is a struggle to continue believing. But Lord, we pray that you would anchor our hearts not in ourselves or in our performance or in our appearance, but in the fact that you are who you say you are.
God, we pray that as we move towards ministering to others, having received comfort ourselves, we pray, God, that you would give us big hearts that move towards others, big hearts just like yours as you move towards us in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would move towards others, helping others find safety and security in Jesus Christ for themselves. In your name we pray these things. Amen.